Hey there, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Winging It Motown Radio. Uh, you've got Kyle on the horn here, and we've got Sarah and Prashant uh, joining us uh, on this episode. JJ and Peter are taking the day off, or episode off, uh, as we all need a little break from things sometimes. Uh, Prashant, Sarah, how are you? How are we doing? <laughs> Can't complain. It's, uh, no. What is this now? Week nine of sitting at home, so I, I, I can't complain. Finding okay. things to do every day. Learning a lot about yourself, I'm sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. When you're stuck inside your own head, it's a it's a scary spot to be. <laughs> right, exactly. Not very far to go from there. Sarah, how are you? Yeah, about about the same. Uh, you know, it's exciting to be on on here with Prashanth. I don't think he and I have ever been on the same. Uh, podcast at the same time before so. no it's been like four years of me ducking you and i couldn't do it today so. <laughs> and we we could not be more different <laughs> in terms of how what we know about things so hopefully this will be a very broad <laughs> a very broad spectrum uh, episode you with the other guys the taking gamut. a gamut yeah the other guys gamut. taking a maintenance day there, there's no being spared from our opinions yeah we've got we've got two very different uh different sides <laughs> we've got the uh <laughs> we've got the numbers and the graphs and then we've got the uh cupcakes and giraffes i guess <laughs> i like it <laughs> I don't, if you guys follow any of us on twitter you'll get these jokes that we're making if you don't then we are speaking a foreign language obviously but that's okay uh we are so happy that everybody is uh, everyone is listening um so we're gonna kick it off with uh the the latest news and the nhl's uh effort to get get the, the the season or the playoffs back on back or off of life support and back in action, um, kind of like obviously an uphill battle with what's going on. Everybody should know by now. We don't need to explain that. Um, we've kind of chronicalized what's been going on with this, but it's been very vague and kind of he said, she said, um, and really it's we've been living with the same exact news being reported, like like in secession like for the last two or three weeks it's like the nhl is committed to coming back and they're going to do it this way they want to come back with the playoffs they're going to expand the playoffs blah 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 but there's really not been any concrete you know like actual news since that like little rumor had broke um so this morning uh, i should say this morning sunday morning um Pierre Lebrun uh, was talking about how the NHL and the Players uh, Association were talking, making progress on a 24-team format playoffs, um, which that's kind of a whole topic on its own. But, you know, at the same time, it, it, it there's still kind of – it feels like there is so much outside of just getting the plan in place. There's so much, so much more that goes into the logistics of – firing up a, a professional sports league uh, in a hotbed for what is an epidemic right now. Um, so I'm going to, I'm going to lead it off here with, with, with Prashanti because I'm interested in his perspective on what has been proposed so far. This, this 24 team format, uh, you know, obviously no fans. Um, what kind of, I mean, how the hell are they going to make this work? in a way that not only is going to protect player safety, but we're talking just a, in general public health. Yeah, I mean, this is, you know, this is a wild idea, and it seems like, at least from the most recent 24-team proposal, that you're going to have uh, some form of regular season games prior to the playoffs. And so effectively, to make this really work from like a public health standpoint, I think the most important thing is you're going to have to decide where are the players going to be located. Um, so, you know, obviously they've kicked around different ideas about we're going to have specific cities. Maybe we'll have four different cities that uh, we'll have these teams relocate to and we'll have them housed in hotels and and uh, kind of minimize contact with uh, with public personnel and. And again, I don't know how that's all going to be done well, because what you're effectively talking about is 
not only quarantining the players, but if their families are with them, you know, you're quarantining their families. If their families aren't with them, then are you quarantining these players away from their families for two months, three months, depending on how long uh, this proposal is going to take place? How are you going to do that for the arena staff? What's going to be the plan in place for if somebody does test positive? Because it's not really an if, it's more a matter of when. I mean, you can see how quickly it happened uh, in the NBA where they're talking about it and all of a sudden you've got Rudy Gobert, you've got, you know, Christian Wood in Detroit, you've got, uh, you know, Donovan Mitchell. It spreads really, really quickly. Um, so I, I, there's all of these hurdles that have to be taken care of before you can really say that you've got a plan in place. And I think that's part of the reason why this is taking so long, because there are so many details you need to have in place before you could even consider doing this in an effective fashion. So basically, Prashanth, what you're what you're talking about, um, I mean, not to get too political about things, but we're, we're talking about um, basically a sports league, whether it be the NHL, the MLB, uh, the NBA, the NFL. They're basically trying to figure out a way to return everything back to normal without spreading a highly contagious virus. Um, they're trying to figure this out while the country is trying to figure it out as well at the same freaking time. <laughs> so it's like, uh, I, and then it becomes like this rat race between all of the uh, the pro sports leagues, I feel like, or at least with, with the ones that could be playing right now. Um, how do they get back in action? Who can be the first one? And like you said, it's not a matter of if, it's a matter of when. And I don't I'm not so worried about the the safety precautions because you can sit there and list down the safety precautions to me all day. You can make them you can make them up as you go. Or I mean, you can have a huge list of them. It's about how you respond if something actually happens and you have an outbreak. Um, Sarah, I mean, is there any do you have any way of like kind of maybe thinking how they can make this work without I don't know. Is there any way they can make it work, is, I guess, is what I'm trying to ask. Well, the NHL has a, a unique problem that MLB and uh, NBA and NFL, but who cares about them? Because <laughs> the NHL has players, a lot of players, not in North America. So you have to figure out how you're going to get players to come back if they're, you know, what paperwork they need to fill out. Like, there's this whole logistical, political thing yeah that the other sports don't have to deal with on nearly the level of, uh, of the NHL. So that's, you know, how much time does that add? Or maybe, you know, are they having guys kind of start? Are some countries like, uh, nope, too bad. Like, you can't have them. No one can leave. So, you know, that, that just adds an extra layer of, uh, of complication. You know, if the United States says, sure, send anyone, and Canada says, no, don't send anyone. <laughs> You know, there's right. like, what do you, what do you do if one player is like, sorry, like my, my prime minister said, I can't come outside and play. Sorry. Not allowed. <laughs> my mom, my mom said no. <laughs> yeah, like, I mean, that is quite literally what like, it might end up being. You know, it's like, what do you, you know, what do you do? And do they say, well, too bad, you know, we're, we're going to play anyway. But then the team that's maybe lost their superstars, like, no, <laughs> now we've changed our minds. Like, if we're not going to have our guys. What are we going to do? Yeah, so right. that's just that's just this extra that's like that maybe that's not the main sticking point for me but that's something that's been on my mind is is it's just different you know that there isn't a precedent for that that's not something we can let you know another sport test out and then be like well how did it go terrible all right we're not going to do it <laughs> right. you know there's we would have like the NHL has to be the the test and you know it's on everyone's mind all the time is Sidney Crosby and the mumps if you couldn't prevent <laughs> that you know this how are you going to, you know, prevent this? And I guess I am a little biased as a Red Wings fan where it just doesn't fucking matter to us. Sure. Yeah, <laughs> I know. Absolutely. <laughs> it's like, it'd be different if we were like, sorry, everyone, we're not going to win. Sorry. Yeah, hey, it'd be fun. different, I guess, maybe if we were like competitive and, you know, but it's like, well, this is this guy's last chance. You know, this is, this is Zetterberg's last year. Like I'd probably be feeling different. Um, so maybe it's easy for me to be like, shut it down, you know, and is this kind of a test, a test run for next season being like, well, let's see what we yeah. like completely fuck up this summer. That way, 
theoretically we won't make it worse or do it you know do it again or make it worse um you know in the fall so it's kind of like i mean it's weird because you don't think of the playoffs as like the test zone of where you're gonna just like try (laughs) stuff (laughs) like that's not what you do in a in a playoffs but if they want to have a next season that's somewhat normal you know they have to start at some point you know so is that how this is like, it's a smaller, it's a smaller group of teams at least that they can like try stuff out. So I can see kind of that argument of being like, well, all right, I guess, is it going to be better or worse or exactly the same? Like in terms of how bad the coronavirus is in the fall. So it's, I can't really see a way that it would work, but I do understand, I guess the, uh, an argument of why you would do it. That's not just, well, we want money. Um, <laughs> right. I mean, that's the argument, right? Is we yeah, want like, money. Yeah. It's we the, want, we want money. And I like, think it nah, definitely that's not good enough. We want money. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, like, yeah. Know, talking about what you're saying there, Sarah, like the whole thing about, we have fewer teams going into playoffs. I mean, that's great, but like, what if you have someone that tests positive and an entire team gets wiped out in a seven-game series? Like, you get one person test positive, the next day you have three more cases, and then the day after, and you haven't like figured out what you're doing, and now all of a sudden you're halfway through a seven-game series and you can't finish the series, or like, it's it's just yeah. I don't know. It just seems like a terrible stage, even though there's like smaller teams, you just in- exponentially raise the stakes with it being the playoffs that. Now you're like, oh, yeah, I'm going to hand out a Stanley Cup because all the other teams got coronavirus and this one didn't. So this one wins. Right. And I mean, (laughs) you think about it. And I think that the NHL is operating on the thought that by the time July rolls around, uh, things, I mean, testing in the country will have ramped up uh, and maybe we'll be getting, you know, we'll be starting to see the end of this. Um, but uh, you know, what it boils down to is I think the NHL and I think a lot of the sports leagues are just kind of operating on hope right now. And there's a wise man that once said, hope is not a strategy. (laughs) Um, and and for those of you who know, you know, um, but if they were going to change the NHL season, um, or the playoff format, I mean, you gotta change the draft format, right? I mean, if you're going to allow 21 teams or however many teams more into the, into the NHL playoffs, uh, well, hell yeah, you need to be ponying up on the other side and helping out the draft class as well. Um, you know, you're talking about the teams who, uh, were in those high, you know, lottery spots like Detroit, obviously who is, uh, you know, has, was the worst team in the league. Um, so, I mean, that would be more of an argument for them. I mean, if you're going to expand the playoffs, then <clears throat> hell, why don't, why don't we have a, a better, a better chance at what we're trying to do over here, you know? Um, and obviously you're listening to the wrong podcast. If you want an a down the middle opinion on this, because everybody wants uh, the Red Wings to have a chance at either pick one or two, uh, preferably one. Um, so you're not going to get, you're not going to get the other side of it from me, at least, uh, Sarah, do you have any thoughts? Do you think it's fair how it is right now? I mean, the draft, I'm not going to say it is what it is. Cause I hate that <laughs> phrase. Um, yeah. I, I can easily say that I don't have any faith in the NHL to like figure it out. I definitely have faith in them finding a way to make it worse. And the Red Wings getting like sixth. <laughs> overall pick again um you know that's kind of one of the i think the funniest and weakest arguments against you know the playoff this 2014 playoff thing too is like is this assumption that the way it was was actually good and fair and like it wasn't you know it's not punishing <laughs> good teams and helping bad like the the playoff format most people are like not great like the second round is always boring um, that's just how it is So, you know, in the draft, I kind of see the same thing where if you're building off an assumption that the way the draft was is fine, which it's not, but I don't know how to fix that either. 
So <laughs> I don't I don't know what the the fix is, but like you said, this is a this is a very much a spin zone where I want pick one or two. We deserved <laughs> it. We really yeah. really deserve it. If not if not picks one and two. So. Yeah, exactly. You know what? The NHL needs the Red Wings, okay? They need us to be good, okay? So uh, how about we just get the top five picks? Sound you good? Want, you want yeah. money. You want to make money. You got to get Look, I'm, I'm perfectly fine with that. <laughs> right. I mean, the Red no Wings carried the NHL them. for 30 years. Call, call us, Gary. We, we got this. <laughs> Yeah, it, it's ugly right now, but things things could get better. I, I mean, Prashant, I know that, and you've been kind of looking at the draft class as well. I mean, so the Red Wings are in a potential spot to get the first overall pick, which is what we want. But I think that there's a lot of perception that if it's not Lafreniere, then it's not going to be good enough. And I think that's just kind of a skewed way of looking. I know the season was terrible, um, but I do think that this draft does offer a lot, um, especially where the Red Wings will be guaranteed to be drafting. I mean, and I know you've kind of mentioned that a little bit before um, on social media. And uh, maybe could you talk a little bit about that? Like, I mean, obviously number one, number two is what you want because you want Byfield or you want Lafreniere, but, you know, outside of that, it seems like it's still not a bad position to be in. Yeah, I mean, this is one of the deepest classes uh, we've had. And by deepest, I'm talking about mostly just in the top 10. Like, uh, if you look at kind of historically the what the top four and top five look like, really what you have this year is like a top eight. Like, any of the guys in the top eight or top nine would generally be top five picks in other years. So you're all the way down to eight and nine. You're still picking a guy who would likely have gone top five in another year. And so there's a lot of talent in this class. And and it definitely extends beyond just Lafreniere and Byfield. I mean, after you get past those two guys, obviously everyone's kind of enamored with Tim Stutzla in, in Germany and just uh, playing on the same Mannheim team that Moritz Sider played on. He's an outstanding winger, I think. Uh, kind of a comparison that a lot of people draw as a Matt Barzell type player. And so that's a really dynamic, uh, you know, offensive player that you can add. You know, other guys you've got are guys like Marco Rossi, who I think uh, potentially could be the second best player in this class. Uh, he's an excellent center. The only knock on him, is, on him is he's five foot nine, but the dude's built like Martin St. Louis in the sense that He's got these thunder thighs, and he's, he's he's ready to do some skating, and you're not going to be able to take him off the puck. I mean, he reminds me a little bit of like a Braden Point type player, a guy that Steve Eiserman started to build around in Tampa. And, you know, you add a guy like that to Detroit, you're going to be able to do some dangerous things. And then you got the guys over in Sweden. You got Lucas Raymond. You got Alexander Holt. I mean, Raymond's a absolutely dynamic uh, two-way forward, dog it after the puck. Really good, uh, you know, two-way play. Alexander Holtz is probably the best goal scorer in this class. Uh, and, and, you know, he, there's a chance he goes eighth overall. And so that just kind of shows you how, how good this class is. I mean, I think Holtz can be a, a Patrick Kleine type player. I mean, and then you still got Jamie Drysdale on the board. You got Cole Perfetti, who turned in one of the top 12, you know, OHL seasons in the last 20 years. I mean, it's from a points-per-game perspective. So you, you really got a lot of lot of talent here and even when the red wings find a way to pick six they're still going to be picking a pretty good player so um but you know all jokes aside i think anywhere you land if even if you don't end up with one or two you're still going to get a a pretty darn good player unless steve eiserman likes to play one of his dirty little tricks uh which ended out so far to be pretty good uh obviously i'm talking about more cider um when he took him at uh, number six. I think that surprised everybody. Um, but uh, Moed's so far been pretty damn good. And uh, it looking like he might have a, a pretty promising uh, NHL career, uh, give it uh, his trajectory. So we'll put a bow on this topic. We're going to take a little bit of a break and then we'll come back and we're going to talk a little bit more about the what ifs. We're talking what if the Red Wings were to do this? What if they were to do that? We're going to talk about that when we come back. We'll be right back. Wim Radio, ad timeout. All right, let's play. All right, everybody, welcome back. We're uh, talking now about 
uh, what ifs on Wingy at Motown Radio. The what ifs in the NA- in NHL history that could have changed uh, <laughs> so much. And one of the big topics that we've been presented with, uh, obviously, is the Colorado Avalanche Red Wings rivalry that raged on through the 90s. Um, and it really kind of all just really, honest to God, just boils down to one goddamn game. Like, it, it all boiled over in one game, in my opinion, obviously. Uh, I mean, we're talking like, so, and I've heard the argument, you know, the Chief Shot, we're talking about the Lemieux and the McCarty, the McCarty thing. So, it, the history for me is a little hazy because I know that it, it all started with a without a bad hit. I mean, with with a bad hit. What do you guys remember this as? Is like, you know, as a fan. Then I know that both of us were, all of us were were kind of young at the time. But I remember it as Lemieux was this just god awful human being that just needed to be taken down in any way, shape, or form. And then McCarty, when he got involved, he was like a fucking superhero. And really, when I look back at it now, I'm like, holy shit, that is, what the hell? Just, like, how was that, how did, how does that even happen? Um, Sarah, why, why don't you, why don't you give us your take on that? So my take is, I didn't know about it until, like, 10 years later. <laughs> okay. <laughs> because, that's fine, and that's fine. Yeah, because I, yeah, I, no I grew up in Pennsylvania, and we had, like, AOL dial-up and no cable <laughs> or anything. An antenna on the roof. So I, you know, was pretty late. Like I was a Red Wings fan, but I didn't know anything except I'm a Red Wings fan. So I came at it as kind of more, not an adult, an older, an old child, <laughs> a college student. I came at it as a college student. And, you know, it's, it's, I guess it's different. I think if I had seen it as a kid, I would have been like, yeah, fuck that guy, except not said fuck because I would have gotten in trouble. But <laughs> <laughs> looking back at it, you know, as a college student, it's I was still kind of like, yeah, fuck that guy. Uh, but, you know, but I was mostly excited. You know, not it's not so much about seeing the team come together, but that's when I felt like I was a fan. Uh, I felt like I was kind of now on a more level playing field with everybody else because I knew about this huge thing that happened. So for me, that's almost like a, a what if it didn't happen? I'd be like, well, I'd be missing this like foundational event that I'm able to be like, yes, I'm a fan. I know about that. Let me talk about it because I prove I'm a real fan. Uh, you know, so but looking at it now as like a real adult and seeing the impacts of fighting and stuff. I mean, I'm still kind of hypocritical because I'm like, yeah, like if someone slammed my best friend's face. Sure into the boards which like i played indoor soccer on a hockey rink my best friend got checked into the wall and i was like we're getting revenge like let's go (laughs) so it's like that's his best friend and you gotta i don't know i kind of admire how long you just hold that grudge you're like i'm gonna get revenge but i'm gonna wait for the perfect moment (laughs) it's like almost i don't know it's kind of admirable standing up for your friend and holding a grudge for that long and not you know not immediately doing the crime and then never doing any more crimes it's like right well yeah. I, think, I i definitely i mean we obviously all love draper um but i think if uh, this whole thing that if the whole lemieux draper thing didn't happen i think draper would have ended up being way different looked at in a way as, in a way different way uh personally um <laughs> prashanth what do you think about it i mean this is one of like my i think one of the moments that really seeded my red wings fandom just like growing up in detroit because like when you put together the whole timeline of events, like, you know, really the, the whole buildup starts in 94, 95, when, you know, the, the Red Wings in the lockout season are this outstanding team. They're, they make it to the Stanley Cup final. They should roll the, the stupid New Jersey Devils who shouldn't have even been in the playoffs. And then, and then the, the Devils sweep the wings and Claude Lemieux is the MVP. And then, and then you know, MVP Claude Lemieux wants more money. They trade him to Colorado. And then Detroit goes, they win 62 games, set an NHL record. And then you get Lemieux that does that. And so, like, for the Wings then in 96-97, like, that was that was huge because, you know, that's, that's the game that basically knocks them out. And none of them really knew how bad, you know, Draper had been hurt until they saw him after the game. 
and just saw how bad his face was. And so, you know, like you said, sir, I think that hatred was just seeded in all of them. And then Lemieux ducks the first game back in Detroit and he ducks the first game in Colorado. So it's literally boiling over the entire season. They're just waiting for this to happen. And, and this game is just absolutely phenomenal. And again, I'm looking at it from being the child growing up watching and not from the responsible adult that knows that fighting and head injuries are bad. And, and McCarty technically jumped the guy, but we're going to set all of that aside to say that that was totally awesome as a kid. And that was very easy to just be like, yeah, this is why I love the Red Wings. This is why I love hockey. This is why I love this sport. It's just like, I've got freaking Igor Larionov and Peter Forsberg start the whole thing. Like those two guys are hall of famers that are just fighting each other. They're wrestling on the blue line. And then you just, you get Brendan Shanahan midair tackling Patrick Wash. It's like, this is the greatest thing. And then finally for McCarty to come in, recognize he's got Claude Lemieux and just, you know, beat the shit out of him at center ice. It was just, it was totally perfect. Like, I don't, I don't know that I've ever like been able to uh, come up with a better moment that really seeded my Red Wings fandom than, than that game. Yeah. Uh, it, you know what, Prashant? That's, that's a gr- that's a gr- I mean, that, that wasn't the moment that seeded my fandom, but that was definitely one of those moments where um, as a fan, you look at it and you go like like you like you said it's like fuck yeah that's why I'm a fan that that shit kicks ass um and I mean one moment like when I became like a true Detroit Tigers fan I mean it was it was Justin Verlander's no hitter I mean like it, it, that was the moment that I was like okay I'm just gonna be a Tigers fan and I love this team um you know and I, I mean you have thoughts on that too Sarah right of course, yes, of course, you love this commander. <laughs> this is yeah. not Blessed Boys, I'm sorry. This is Lincoln Motown. <laughs> but anyways, we're still talking about some more what-ifs that um, uh, might have happened along the timeline of things in Red, for Red Wings, for the Red Wings, I'm sorry. Um, and one big one for me is Pavel Bure, uh, perhaps one of the greatest Russian players of all time. Uh, it, I said one of. And, you know, I mean, this guy could have been in the 1989 draft, I believe it was. He could have been uh, a a Red Wing. Uh, The the rumor was, I believe, and my timeline, again, is hazy because I was a baby at that point or a child. um, The Red Wings had the uh, interest or the opportunity to draft Pavel Bure in the fifth round. Um, But I believe they were told they were they couldn't. and the Vancouver Canucks ended up drafting him around later. Uh, and so, I mean, obviously, Bure went on to be a legendary player. Um, you know, uh, you know, I, I, and I think probably one of the more underrated, off, underrated offensive players uh, in all of NHL history. Um, just, just sheer Russian skill. And it really would have, like, if you think about it, what how it would have melded with with what the, the Red Wings were doing. I mean, the timeline there is insane. I mean, you could think, I mean, if you would have drafted him, I mean, he was drafted, he would have been drafted. He was drafted. I'm sorry. He was drafted in the same year as I, I believe Nick Lidstrom. I mean, could you imagine having both Bure and Lidstrom and Iserman and Shanahan all on the same team with, and with Fedorov and, and all these other friggin' players that I'm going to probably forget about. It's insane to think about. Um, you know, I, I mean, what are you, Prashanta, do you have any thoughts on Pavel Bure and, and this story at all, this timeline at all? Because it's very fascinating to me. Yeah, I mean, the 89 draft in, in general is already regarded as probably the greatest draft by any team in NHL history because, you know, without getting Bure, you draft Mike Sillinger in the first round, you take Nick Lidstrom in the third round, you take Fedorov in the fourth round, and you take Konstantinov in the 11th round. Like, you're, you're already taking literally all the Hall of Famers, and and you're not even talking about Dallas Drake and Bob Bugner and a couple other guys who ended up play, having long NHL careers. And so, you know, at that time, the ability of the teams to kind of understand the eligibility of some of the Russian players was dicey. And so, you know, in the fifth round, the, the Wings go to try and take Pavel Bure because they believed that he was eligible to be taken. 
And at the time, the NHL tells them, no, he's actually not. You have the eligibility criteria wrong. The Wings kind of went with it. They were fine. And so then in the sixth round, the Canucks come back uh, and they actually go and present the paperwork to the NHL, basically proving that Beret was eligible. So the NHL allows, you know, the Canucks to take Beret and kind of the rest is history from there. But I mean, if you're talking about having a, a draft where you pull in, you know, Lidstrom, Fedorov, Beret, Konstantinov, Mike Sillinger, and Dallas Drake and Bob Bugner. I mean, that's unbelievable. And it certainly would have altered, I think, the the landscape of, you know, hockey for the Red Wings. I think it certainly shifts their title window up much earlier. I think even in Lidstrom's rookie year in, in 91, uh, the Wings still weren't particularly good. They were now a playoff team, but uh, they hadn't really reached their peaks. They don't really get to kind of their peak talent level until really 94, 95, uh, when they make the Stanley Cup finals for the first time. So, you know, you add Burray to that team and now you completely change what you see, uh, you know, in Detroit. You take away the Canucks appearance in the Stanley Cup finals against the New York Rangers uh, in 94. And, and a lot of things really, really change. And I think you're talking about Detroit potentially running off five, six Stanley Cups in a 12-year period instead of, uh, you know, the three that they do before getting uh, the one in 2008. Yeah. Then perhaps if that were to happen, then maybe we're watching a different type of documentary on primetime on ESPN right now. Who knows? Uh, <laughs> I'm just kidding. Please don't, don't, don't yell at me for saying that. Um, you know, it's crazy to think I didn't even realize that Fedorov was drafted that same year too. It, and the other names that you mentioned, you know, it's so hard for me to keep track of all that, but I, I, you are a wealth of knowledge for Shant. And, uh, that is, uh, that is quite remarkable even without Beret. And, um, yeah. And just to think about it, it would have been nuts. I mean, you would have had, uh, and I hate using this word, especially nowadays, unprecedented, uh, type of like uh, dynasty, uh, m- even more so. Um, so I know, uh, Sarah, you said that you became a Red Wings fan a little bit later, but do you have any thoughts or feelings on Pavel Bure? Were you watching hockey at that time in your life? Or, or I mean, obviously the thought is, of course you want him, but because um, he's gonna, you know, he's a Hall of Famer. But do you have any, uh, do you have any thoughts or? Uh, I have thoughts. Uh, I don't have a wealth of knowledge, but I have a wealth of uh, <laughs> butterfly butterfly effect speculation. So, <laughs> I mean, ew, only three cups, pathetic. Um, yeah. But I've kind of long been a, a proponent of like, it's not always about if even if you have like the best player, if it's not the player you need for whatever role, you know, just having a great player. You know, are first of all, are they the same great player? I mean, for Pablo Bure, I'm sure the answer is yes. But is he really, you know, is is he enough to get those Stanley Cups earlier? Or did the Red Wings need to feel those years of just crushing, agonizing defeat to get the rage to win the next, the nine, you know, in 97, 98, have the fight night at the Joe because Pavel Burry is probably maybe not starting that fight. (laughs) Right. You know, for me, I'm like, no, they needed to be in the loser club and get really, really close with the stupid devils. They needed that to spark them to win, to be hockey town, you know, say, even if they did win, five cups i don't know would it still be that same feeling you get as a detroit fan of like being like we overcame this we came together you know as a city even though sarah was a like a week old and in pennsylvania but we came together (laughs) we came together as as a city as this you know full of the grit and heart and hustle uh you know and if you're just winning cups very easily it's not the same I want them to suffer before they win. Right, of course. So it, I say don't draft Pavel Bury and embrace the suffering. <laughs> You're, you are, I, I am astounded. Uh, that is amazing. <laughs> Thank you, Sarah. <laughs> we, we thank Sarah for her input. <laughs> that's the theme. Embrace the suffering. <laughs> embrace the suffering. Okay, that's fine. I like it. Um, 
Okay, so kind of switching topics now. Um, we're talking about, you know, what if, you know, in a, in a draft sense. Let's talk about what if in a free agent sense. Uh, what happens if Marion Hosa stays? That's the big one, right? We're all still pissed off about that. Uh, as you can tell, every time Marion Hosa touches the puck, well, used to touch the puck when he was at the Joe Louis Arena, Red Wings fans hated Marion Hosa up until the last moment. And I never really understood why. I mean, I get the fan anger, but like that long, over that long of a period, I mean, are we that bored of a fan base? I mean, maybe, I don't know, <laughs> but it, it begs the question. Marion Hosa leaves the year after they were, you know, they were beat by Pittsburgh uh, in the final, uh, goes to Chicago. We all know what happens from there. Uh, so maybe that's where the, 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 the sour taste is at, but it's just really, you know, what if you have Marion Hosa for one more year with uh, Pavel Datsuk and Henrik Zetterberg and all the other, you know, uh, all, all the others? Like, you're, and, and I mean, if you're talking about staying like long term, you're talking about a completely different team, in my opinion, uh, because then you have three of the best offensive players uh, <laughs> in the to- at the time. Uh, you know, it's it's kind of nuts and it, it really I mean the Red Wings probably could have dragged that that on for I mean up until Marion Osa really went out uh, uh you know I mean if even you know when you think about it of uh, what kind of players they are they were up until uh their retirement uh Prashanth what, what were I mean what do you think could have happened let's say what would have happened if Marion Hosa signed the same contract here in Detroit that he did with Chicago. Like, yeah, I mean, same, the same terms. Yeah, it would have been great. I think ideally the wings wanted to give him, you know, as much money as they possibly could. But, uh, you know, when they were going through the negotiations and trying to make sure that, you know, they take care of Franz and they had a number of other free agents that they had to deal with. And there was kind of that organizational, you know, stigma that maybe not stigma is not the right word, but kind of the philosophy that no one's going to be paid more than Nick Lidstrom. Like, mm-hmm. this is how we're going to do things. It's it's kind of a top-down order. Um, and I don't really have that much money to give, Miriam. But hypothetically, if you say, all right, I'm not bringing Franzen back and I'm going to give that money to Marion Hosa and allow him to get, you know, a similar deal that he got, you know, in Chicago, which ultimately the Chicago deal, I believe, was like, you know, 13 or 14 more million than Detroit was able to offer him over the same time frame. Um, you know, I, I think if you add a guy like Hosa to Detroit, I mean, first off, Hosa is still the last guy to score 40 for Detroit. Uh, and so the Wings still have not had a guy come near that mark uh, really recently. Hell, I mean, they actually just had their first 30 goal scorer in Athanasiu, you know, last season. Uh, and he Oops. was the first since. First since Hosa scored 40, um, you know, for Detroit in 08, 09. And so I think you add a guy like that to Datsuk's wing. I think what you do is you extend Datsuk's scoring peak. Because uh, Datsuk, right after Hosa leaves, his his scoring numbers start to drop off. He's not the same 97-point player as he was in kind of back-to-back years in 07, 08, 08, 09. He drops off after that a little bit. I think Hosa allows him to extend that. I think it gives Zetterberg the opportunity, you know, to be versatile. I think you can continue to use him on the second line with guys like Filippo and Hoodler. Uh, you know, Mikhail Samuelson was obviously still a valuable piece at that point. And so you give Zetterberg kind of a, a few different line mates to play with, kind of rotate. I think that completely changes up your power play as well. I think Detroit's, you know, able to stave off the Sharks. Uh, who kind of take over the West for a little bit. Um, and, you know, the Sharks and obviously the Blackhawks are significantly wounded because you take Hosa off of Chicago, and I think now it's San Jose and Detroit are the top two teams in the West. And and I think Detroit's able to kind of outrank San Jose and and ultimately maybe a couple more, a couple more cup finals runs. Yeah, for sure. Uh, and, I mean, when you think about um, I mean, that's a good one about Datsuk because, I, I mean, I feel like that was 
always, I mean, for me, it kind of always was like a, kind of like a, um, like a hill in, in Datsuk's career. Uh, when, when Hosa left, I mean, I felt, I felt like they were kind of like, I, I was so pissed that I didn't get to watch those two together for longer. That's what really what it boils down to. I wanted more. I wanted to watch Pavel Datsuk and Miriam Hosa play together more. Um, and I, I think every Red Wings fan should feel that way. And if they don't, then they're wrong. Uh, Sarah, if you have any thoughts on Marion Hosa as a Red Wing, I mean, what are, what is, what is, what is your first, uh, your first, like, uh, I guess, experience with Marion Hosa, like as a fan? Uh, I mean, my most memorable experience is that he's won the Trader Award in my award show <laughs> so often that I discontinued the award because no one else would win. So I, I can attest to the bitter feelings of the fan base. Uh, you know, but at that point, I was still kind of on the listening to the radio feed for games. I didn't have a, you know, so I didn't see much outside highlights, you know, and listening doesn't give you the same effect. So I I don't think I had as many strong feelings about Marion Hosa because I just didn't know you know each individual player that well because I couldn't see them. Mm-hmm. But I think if he stays, you know, then we don't so much limp our way to 25 <laughs> straight playoff appearances. We're sure. kind of like a, we're like a, a purposeful stride uh, to get there. And so we wouldn't, you know, make as many garbage trades just to like cling to the, the dream of the 25, uh, you know, which would set us up better for a rebuild. <laughs> yes. Cause we wouldn't have traded any, all that stuff away for David Leguan and Merrick Sidlicki and Eric Cole uh, and whatever cast of characters that was kind of the, the trade deadline fun. So I will. Me, <laughs> I mean, that is a good point. I mean, I will say this. It would be a lot of fun to see what the Red Wings look like now with uh, Henrik Zetterberg, Johan Franzen, and Marion Hossa all on the books, right? Because they're all on, like, I th- who is Hossa's on the books for co- the Arizona, right? I believe his contract ends at the end of next season. Okay. So could you imagine just having all of those contracts on at one time? Like that, those are like three like Albatross contracts. And we still have Stephen Weiss for one oh, more yeah. year, but we wouldn't who have picked him up in the first place, probably, right? So. Uh, well, there is no guarantee there. I'm sorry, uh, with Ken Holland, there are no guarantees. Uh, all right, everybody. Speaking of uh, what ifs, we're going to talk more about what ifs after this uh, next break. Uh, but we're going to turn to the reader question. So we'll be right back. We'll talk about that next. Wim Radio. Add timeout. All right, let's play. All right, everybody, welcome back. It's time to take the reader questions. And, of course, we're talking a lot about what ifs uh, this week with SB Nation. Um, when we say what ifs, it's basically, you know, it's self-explanatory. What if uh, and how would it change uh, the history played out? Um, so getting right to the reader questions for the Red Wings here. And the funniest one, and it was the first one, it was the first question in our in our comment thread that pisses me off from Big Text D304. I don't know why it pisses me off. Uh, it's a funny question, and I like it. What if Eric Cole hadn't gotten injured in 2015? For those of you who don't remember, uh, Eric Cole, the, Ken Holland traded uh, Eric Cole, or for Eric Cole. It was Matthias Janmark and a draft pick. I think it was a second or third. I can't remember off the top of my head. Um, and it was at the time where the Red Wings were uh, crawling on bloody nubs to try and get into play or be a playoff contender. And um, it, it appears that that trade did not work out for the Red Wings. <laughs> but the uh, the question here is, he was playing well. Um, I thinking back up to Eric Cole, I don't really remember how well he was playing, maybe just fine. Um, but the wings obviously went on and lost in the first round there, um, to Tampa. And it was a seven game conference, uh, or conference seven game series. Uh, would Eric Cole have made that extra difference to get them into the second round? I mean, 
Maybe. But does that change the big picture of the, uh, what was it, the 2015 NHL playoffs or whatever? No. I mean, at that time, I think the Red Wings were very much uh, on the very raw end of their <laughs> their uh, their uh, era of dominance. Uh, they were so obviously done. And it seemed like Ken Holland was kind of just trying to keep things moving along. Uh, and uh, that trade was not exactly the, the best looking trade at the time. And I mean, I guess in hindsight, it's not a terrible trade to make, but at the same time, it kind of shows like how, wh- how it, the, the team was heading in a wrong way, a wrong way for a long time. Sarah, I mean, do you, I mean, do you remember Eric Cole? Yeah, I think he la- he made it like three weeks, four weeks. Like, I feel like we got him in March and by April it was like officially announced. Maybe we were already out of playoffs, but no, that would have been the regular season. <laughs> <laughs> I don't remember how the playoffs work. It's been too long. <laughs> it's okay. But I think the biggest um, impact Eric Cole being good would have had is that Red Wings fans would not have as huge a boner for Matthias or Janmark as they do that they like people I think were really bitter about the trade and really thought Janmark is better than he really is because they were so mad that Eric Cole was just like an instant deletion um, and I think we traded another guy I feel like there was two Matthiases in that trade Matthias Backman I think oh yeah it was like it was like two players and a, yeah, an AHLer. Nobody is mad about him, but people <laughs> were mad about um, Yanmark. And it was, there's always like in that era, there was always like that one guy that people got really attached to for no reason. Um, but they would not have been so attached and so bitter, I think, at Ken Holland. Like, if any, that's the real victim of this scenario, other than Eric Cole, is Ken Holland, because <laughs> <laughs> he already looked bad and that just made him look worse. Uh, so I think it really doesn't impact the game, the actual team, as much as it impacts the, the feelings of the fan base. Sure. <laughs> it was more uh, an emotional, for, an emotional for, injury. Right. <laughs> Prashant, what about you? Yeah, I mean, like my most vivid memory of that uh, that series is not that Eric Cole was missing, but I'm pretty sure this was the series where we also got the quotes that. Uh, Joachim Anderson was more valuable to the team than Anthony Mantha in the playoffs uh, and that they oh, weren't going to be bringing it. This is also, I think, the spare part quote series. Uh. So I think that's that's the better question here because Joachim Anderson did very little for this team. But, you know, in all honesty, right, okay, you can look at the surface and say, did, you, did Detroit push Tampa to seven games? Yes. Did Tampa go to the Stanley Cup final? Also, Yes. Does Eric Cole mean that Detroit would have beat Tampa? No. Uh, the only reason Detroit was even close was Peter Mrazek was playing out of his mind. Like, he he had frustrated the hell out of Tampa that entire series. Tampa had vastly outplayed Detroit. Uh, they were basically clinging for dear life. Uh, there was no... Eric Cole wasn't going to make the difference here. And sure, even if you win that series... You're still not beating the Rangers. The Rangers were the best team in the league that year. Although the Rangers were, you know, you're still not scoring on Henrik Lundqvist. Uh, the, it wouldn't have made a difference. You're not even going to take it to the cup finals. And ultimately, it's going to give Ken Holland even more assurance that the moves he made actually helped the team in the playoffs. And he may have made even more moves. Like, we saw some moves we may have seen even more moves that would have further set back this team because, uh, you know, think about the 2016 offseason where he gives a lot of money to, to Darren Helm, to Franz Nielsen, uh, to a number of other guys. That that offseason is built on the crux of Detroit continuing to make the playoffs here. And, and I think advancing even further may have been even more detrimental. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it just was all around just kind of a bad bad kind of trade to begin with um next question now which is a good one um what if the red wings traded steve eiserman for alexi yashin 
this is a big one, and this has been kind of like a topic of discussion for years now, it seems. Um, I'm going to be honest with you. I didn't watch Yash when he was in his prime. I really don't remember watching him at all as a kid or as a as a young as a youngin. Um, I know that he was a good NHLer, um, but nowhere near to where what Steve Eiserman became in, in, in Detroit. So there's a real quick, quick answer to this. What if, what happens if that, ha- if, I mean, what happens if the Red Wings trade Steve Eiserman for Alexi Ashen? I think the quick answer here and that everybody will an- uh, agree with me is that nothing, nothing happens. <laughs> I, I think that that just kind of changes the entire course. Cause I think Eiserman was really the, uh, um, I don't have the right verbiage for this, but he was the one that started the fire <laughs> for for the Red Wings, I suppose. Uh, yeah. <clears throat> so if anybody asks who started the fire, Steve Eisron, in my opinion. Are there any objections to that? <laughs> no objections. I will say maybe like the threat of almost being traded, hometown or not, Ottawa is the worst. It's not the worst. It sucks. <laughs> it does suck, though. So, like, being like, look, you better lead this team or you're going to Ottawa. Like, that's a pretty severe threat. Even maybe not as much back then. But that doesn't start that doesn't start a fire. The threat of being traded to an actual dumpster fire, even maybe not back then. But still, I, I there, really... there's another butterfly effect thing being like the little the little threat of getting kicked out of your team helped maybe helped Steve Eiserman get it together and. And lead this team. So. And it's so crazy to think back on now because it's like you think about trading literally probably one of the best players that will ever put on one of your sweaters. Like, what? How is that ever a question? <laughs> How the? What? <laughs> okay, whatever. Prashant, do you have any thoughts on that? No. I mean, in hindsight, it's just like that just seems like a galaxy brain move where you're overthinking everything and you're just like, yeah, let me go out and do this and trade, you know, Steve Eiserman for a 21 year old Russian player that's played exactly two seasons in the NHL. I mean, I, you know, you go back to the moment and you can sort of see what people were thinking that the wings are coming off, getting swept in the cup finals when they're heavy favorites. Yashin's a 21 year old who's just finished back to back point per game seasons. And you're like, yeah, maybe this could work. Uh, but you know, ultimately Detroit gets cold feet on the deal. They, you know, the ownership nixes it. And then you go out, you win 62 games the next season and then two Stanley cups after that. Uh, and then another one in 2002. I mean, clearly if, if the wings deal Iserman for Yashin, I think exactly what you said, Kyle, you see zero Stanley cups. And ultimately, you know, at that point, you're only five years into a playoff streak. You don't come anywhere near close to 25. Right. Yeah, that I mean, it, it is one of those things where at the time it's easy to pull a trigger on that and be a GM and think you're trying to outsmart everybody else. I mean, I feel like a lot of GMs kind of fall into that trap, and uh, I'm quite thankful that that did not happen um, because Iserman uh, is a, I mean, it's a household name now um, for obvious reasons. Uh Yashin would have never been a household name, I don't think. Uh, not in, in Detroit, at least. I mean, you know, I, I, I think that it's just one of probably one of the greatest what-if trades uh, there there is in sports. Uh, that That's something that could have had a massive effect on, on history in the NHL. Um, another interesting question from Elk Defender 2 uh, was, what if Yuri Fisher uh, had had been able to carry on with his career after his sudden episode, cardiac episode that, that basically ended a, a young career, a young promising career. So I've always had the opinion that Yuri Fisher was going to be a, a real up and it was a real up and coming player and would have been the next kind of, uh, kind of blue line stalwart that the Red Wings needed. But that loss, I mean, I feel like, Everybody was kind of conditioned to think of it as, well, he just needs to get himself healthy and and live a better life, which is how it should be. But it does beg the question, what happens if if he stays healthy? I mean, obviously, I don't think it's anything that drives 
I, maybe it doesn't make much of a difference, but I mean, Prashant, do you have any, it, it, like you think about it, I mean, Fisher plays a huge role now in player development uh, and prospect development with the Red Wings. So obviously he's still a part of this team, but as a player, I mean, do you think that his presence really kind of shifts shifts the tides for things like kind of in those later years? You know, I, I think he, he certainly could have. Like, do I think he was a number one or a number two defenseman on a Stanley Cup championship team? Probably not. Um, you know, honestly, if you're looking for a guy who stylistically uh, is is similar, you can kind of look at Moritz Sider right now in terms of how the two play the game. I mean, they're they're kind of a bigger hitters. Uh, they have some offensive instincts, but that's not the prominent part of the game. But they're really what they are at the end of the day is they're great skaters at their size. And so, you know, I think Fisher was a really solid player overall. I thought he was a guy that would be a great number three or a number four on a Stanley Cup championship team. I think ultimately he would have potentially saved Detroit from going out and chasing some of the guys that they did chase, um, you know, in later years on the blue line. But uh, at the end of the day, does he move the needle on another Stanley Cup or not? I, I think the answer is no. Uh, I don't think he he makes a fundamental difference there. Um, that being said, I, I still think, you know, he's a significant improvement over guys like Andreas Lilia, Brett Lebda, guys who <laughs> ended up being third-line pairing defensemen yeah. on Stanley Cup championship teams. Oh, God. I feel like I get a headache every time I hear the name Lebda or Lilia. Like like a small like little cluster headache. <laughs> I don't I don't know why. Um, <laughs> Sarah, uh, real quick, I don't know if you have any thoughts on Yuri Fisher or that or, or that timeline there. Um, did you get a Did you get a chance to watch him at all? No, but I do have thoughts anyway. Yes, <laughs> this has course. been the theme, and I want to hear them. So, you know, I'll I can't say about him as a player, but I can say, you know, that the work that he did he's done in the community you know has certainly saved people's lives and you know that he was able to make something out of such a horrific situation yeah. you know ideally it's it's not what you want to happen but that his career was cut short has def, you know probably saved people's lives you know that's obviously something very significant so you know obviously you know would have liked to see him play but you know he's done a lot of work and had gotten the league then to take something you know, even more seriously and, you know, been prepared for those kind of situations um, because the impact on him was so severe. Um, you know, so that's, that's the, you know, what I know kind of about, about him is his, his, you know, charity work, his advocacy work. Yeah. And I, I, I will always, I always think that he does a great job at uh development camps with, dealing with the, uh, the young players. Um, he's always, on the ice with them and he's always showing them he's always right there. He's always very personable as a guy, as someone who's gone to Traverse city a few times and has seen it happen. Um, I know that he plays a huge point, uh, a huge point in the, uh, the development of younger players. Um, so Sarah, one more question and then we're gonna, we're gonna sign off here. Let's say that Johan Franzen never had an issue with concussions or health. <clears throat> What do you think happens? What kind of a player do you think he is? I think he remains a very frustrating player to me personally. Um, I had this reaction picture of uh, a donkey sitting, staring at a white wall, just staring at a blank wall that I used for him a lot because sometimes he did the thing where it's like his con the controller turned off and he would just kind of drift. And then in the next game, he would score four goals. You know, so he was a he was a very frustrating player. And it's something I think about with, you know, the what ifs of Hosa also. And that, you know, I wonder if Franzen would always be not quite living up to the potential um, that people saw in him and somehow making people even more bitter about Marion, <laughs> Marion Hosa, if that's even possible. Um, <laughs> you know, but that's, you know, I love Franzen. Don't get me wrong, but you know, I, I don't think he ever kind of reaches that consistency that everyone we were all just dying for. Um, I think he kind of remains that, you know, the, the streaky, you know, that that Mantha shows sometimes I see I can see Franzen in Mantha sometimes, um, 
you know, and but want Mantha to not be the streaky player that um, that Franzen was, and I think that he would have continued to be um, through his career. Yeah, yeah, no, I, I think that's a good one. I've always kind of put Franzen and Mantha on the same kind of shelf, and uh, my on my uh, in my library. I have a library, um, and there's a shelf, and uh, it's people who I love. And it goes by level. And I think I would put Mantha and Franzen on the same level. And that is a compliment, people, okay? So don't look at it as me looking down on Mantha because I loves me some Johan Franzen. And I know that Franzen does too, right? I mean, I, I absolutely loved Johan Franzen. And I think it's it's a, such an interesting question because, you know, at the time when you're watching him, you, you can certainly see why he was a frustrating player, like, you know, for exactly what you said, sir, you know, one night he's on, he scores five goals against Ottawa, and then he goes 10 games without recording more than two points. And you're just like, you know, what what kind of happened here? I think the, the fascinating piece to it is, did his concussion history change how he played the game? Did it affect his uh, willingness to go to areas where he was going to get more contact uh, did it affect his desire to maybe pursue pucks uh, into high traffic areas? The other, I think, variable that goes into all of that is, you know, with what's come out in the last year about how Mike Babcock treated Johan Franz. And is yeah. that, you know, really a huge piece to how he ended up developing as a player and, and kind of some of the issues with the consistency, the drive um, to be there every single night in terms of getting the most out of him on a on a night-to-night basis. But for me, when I look at him, I'm not sure when the whole concussion history really starts. I do know that really the first uh, documented NHL ones are in the 2008-2009, um, I believe, Stanley Cup playoff runs, where it's actually noted that at one point he had like a subdural hematoma in the 2009 playoffs, uh, or actually, sorry, 2008 playoffs that actually caused him to miss a few games. And that came from a head hit. But it's hard to say because if if that was peak Franzen, that March 2008, all the way through where he was literally torching everybody. I think the guy scored like 22 goals in 30 games over that March to uh, May time period, including the playoffs. I mean, if that was peak Franzen and that's what we were robbed of, I mean, we're talking about a guy who could have been a potential 35, 40 goal scorer with regularity. And so... So it's ultimately really hard to say, but I think at the end of the day, he was an extremely talented player that uh, unfortunately we just didn't get to see more of. Yeah, and I think he got a lot of flack for uh, for for probably more than he deserved from the fan base. Uh, not probably, definitely more than he deserved. Um, but I think the fan base is thankfully warming up to them now uh, for warming up to them now that they're seeing kind of the other side of things and uh, how severe the case was. Um, we wish the best to, to, to Johan Franz and we love you. Uh, anyways. So this has been a very, I don't know if I want to say the best episode, but probably the best episode of William Motown radio ever. Um, and I don't know <laughs> if there are any what ifs about that. Okay, so <laughs> if you had any more what ifs, then go ahead and just stash them away. So, uh, no, uh, so that's my really lame way of uh, signing off. No, I'm kidding. Um, final hockey related thoughts. I'm going to go ahead and just kind of keep it uh, uh, current here. Uh, I think what we're facing still, there are a lot of unknowns. And I think that, you know what, maybe it's not as serious as we think it is or some people think it is but at the end of at the end of this when we look back on this i am so happy i would be so happy to say that we overacted uh versus underreacting um and with that i think that i don't i as much as i miss sports right now as much as i miss hockey and i miss baseball and i miss football and everything um i still wouldn't give it up for another human life. Uh, so I, I, I just, I want the NHL to make the right choice here. I don't think it's, I know that there's money involved and you'll never get around that, but I think that the best case here is just to cancel the season, cancel the playoffs, do what the AHL did, just start planning for what the hell you're going to do 
if this is still a thing uh, come come fall time when when it's regular season time. Uh, and, and, and that's just how I feel about it. That's my opinion. I don't care about anybody else's opinion unless it's Prashanth or Sarah. Guys, <laughs> final hockey related thoughts. Uh, Sarah, go first. Uh, I think I mean, I think you summed it up pretty well that the worst case scenario is so bad, you know, that I would I would love us to be like, yeah, we all overreacted. That's yeah. the goal is to have overreacted, um, you know, and, and I really hope that there's a safe plan for the fall. Um, and don't fuck up this summer, please. Gary. Right. <laughs> Gary. That's my final thought. Gary Watch yourself, is, Gary. Gary. Gary is the new Karen. Oh, God. Prashant. I mean, you guys both said it uh, probably better than I can say it. Uh, you know, I love hockey. I miss hockey, but love all you guys more. And, and if that means no hockey for a while, then then that's fine. As long as Alexi Lafreniere ends up in Detroit, I'm, I'm, I'm not going to worry <laughs> about it. Right. I'll, I'll take a, I'll take a Quinton Byfield, too, though. I'll be yeah. fine. Oh, yeah. 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 Either one. Don't worry. We'll be all right. All right, cool. I'm glad we all agree here. All right, everybody. Thank you for tuning in. We'll see you next time. Well, we won't see you. We'll hear from you next time. Or no, you won't. we won't hear from you. You'll hear from us. All right. Not doing well. It's fine. Quarantine life. I'm on like month number three. Everybody, stay out there. Stay safe. Stay healthy. And uh, we'll talk to you again soon. Yikes. Really stumbled through that one. But we made it through. I'm so fucking tired. Holy shit. <laughs> I'm like about to fall asleep. All we right. Survived. We survived. We did it somehow without without the uh, noble leadership. I thought uh, this was going to be like a six person episode. Like I didn't. Two days. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't. I didn't hear anything from. Oh, I just morning, saw like. So. Yeah. I saw everyone was like saying, "Yeah, yeah, yeah, I'll be there." I was like, "All right, cool. We're gonna have like six or seven people. This is gonna be wild." <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's why at first I was like, "All right, guys, maybe uh, if someone drops out, just let me know." But hey, it turned out turned out all right so okay i'm gonna hit stop recording so we can all sign off now um hopefully it works uh and it was good seeing and hear from all of you uh hopefully we do it again soon and obviously take care of yourselves okay same you too all right see you Go guys to bed.